So today, I was without anything to talk about. I originally planned to do 1 Corinthians, got through, so I'm trying to figure out what to do, and, and you know, and it's, I plan everything out in detail. So when I have something not planned, it's like, I don't know what to do, Lord. And uh, I mean, I got next Wednesday, not, next year's so on Wednesday night, that's what I'm doing. I'm into two, 2023, 2024, what I'm doing, you know. So uh, I, I'm doing some stuff for the sermon on Sunday and uh, in Genesis, and, I, and it just got me thinking. And so what I do tonight, I want to share a little bit with you about about how we need to understand Scripture. I mean, I know if you're a follower of Christ, we believe Scripture is the Word of God. I got all that. But we live in a culture that just doesn't accept that. When I was a kid, when I was growing up, everybody I knew believed that, you know, the Bible was important and that God spoke to us through the Bible. Now, they didn't always follow it. I get that. I was, I was a teenager in the 70s. A lot of people didn't follow the Bible, trust me. And, uh, you know, but, but everybody had respect and regards for it, all, all that stuff. And, and our culture just understood that the Bible was important and that somehow it, it spoke. It's either, it either was God's word or at least they believed it was important stuff about God. But that doesn't happen today. And so I want to talk to us a little, little bit about things we need to realize. And I want to begin in Genesis 1-1. And um, I preach from Genesis 1-1 a lot. I think I've preached from it a couple of times since I've been here, maybe three. I refer to it. Uh, so I'm going to go over some stuff today that, that I'll, I'll say again on Sunday, not in the same context. And I'll probably go through a little bit quicker on Sunday. I, mean, I have a whole different thing lined up. But in Genesis 1-1, New American Standard Translation, which I think is the best English translation. Let me just say this about English translations. The best word-for-word English translation is still the New American Standard Version. Other versions come out. I know a lot of people like the English Standard Version. I like all our staff guys use that. That's fine. It's just not as good as New American Standard. It just, it just misses on some points. The New International Version is a great version for smoother reading. It's a great translation. It misses some of the exactness. The, the place I, I don't like it the most is in Genesis 2-4 when it doesn't translate the word, Hebrew word for day as day, which it hurts its translation, but it's still it's good. But, but I tend to do my study in the American Standard, and I appreciate all that. And so it's just so you'll know that. But if, if I didn't use the New American Standard, I used the NIV. So just so you'll know. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So what do you see right here? What's important about that? Is I almost always, whenever I preach out of that, I mean, uh, whenever you preach out of a passage, the, the interpretation is the same. The meaning is the same. It doesn't change. How we apply it may change. I'm preaching about the image of God this week. I've preached from it at least twice before since I've been here. I'm going to give you the same interpretive understanding. But I can apply that so many different ways. Because I can't even be, I mean, just can't exhaust the applications of it. So whenever I deal with Genesis 1-1, I, I want to say the same thing, and this is it. There was a time when there was nothing but God. Need to understand, there was a time that nothing existed but God. Nothing existed but God. And you can't even use the word time, because there was no time, but it's just an accommodation. Then there was a time when all that changed. There was nothing but God, and then it changed. And it changed because the only one who existed changed it. It is the only one who logically and plausibly could change it. And he did it at the just speaking of a word. And there was creation. Now, in Genesis 1-1 is the first of two fundamental Christ, uh, doctrines of the Christian faith. I've shared with you many times. There are four 
doctrines that serve as the pillars of the Christian faith. Two are in the Old Testament and the New, but start in the Old. Two are exclusive to the New Testament. The doctrine of incarnation and the doctrine of resurrection. They are only in the New Testament. There, there, are, there are times that maybe someone comes back to life in the Old Testament and it's a kind of resurrection except they die. And there are no incarnations in the, in the New Old Testament. And there are, by the way, no appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament because if Jesus appeared in the Old Testament, that negates the incarnation. And if you negate the incarnation of the New Testament, you in a heap of trouble. But in the New Old Testament, there are two other doctrines. And these are the doctrines of creation and revelation. And they begin here. Creation is that God created something out of nothing. He is and always will be the first cause of all things. Whenever people tell me oh, they don't believe in creation, they believe in this or that, or, I always ask the same question. What, what caused the first whatever? And, you know, nowadays, you know, people, people will say, well, that's not really important. I've heard so. That's not important. That doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, time out. It is important. <laughs> it's important to me. And you don't get to tell me what's important. No one gets to tell me what's important but God and my wife. Sometimes not in that order. <laughs> but I want to know, if you want me to believe in your theory of beginnings, I want to know what brought out the first something. Because if what you believe is logically impossible, then I'd be an idiot to believe it. So there is a God who created, but the other doctrine is Revelation. And Revelation is not the last book of the Bible. <laughs> Revelation is the revealing of God. And what Revelation teaches is this, God reveals himself to us. He does it generally through nature if he chooses. He does it specifically through a book called His Scriptures. And he does it finally and exhaustively in Jesus Christ. After Jesus, there is no more revelation of God. So when some pastor says, God has given me a new revelation. Well, what do you mean? If he's given you profound insight, okay, I got you. I never use that term. If you mean he has given you something new he has never given before, <laughs> You are incorrect. It, I, someone may have given it to you. Could have been a supernatural being. It wasn't God, which doesn't leave any good choices left. So to understand the importance then of Revelation, is to understand that what we call those 66 books that we call the Bible, make up God's story to us. And I grew up in a time and an age and a culture where when you just said the Bible says, that was pretty good. Oh, I don't know how many times, preacher, the Bible says, you know, they picked the Bible up, only it was leather bound. It was not real leather, it was a fake leather, glossed with his name in gold, usually some fancy title, something written in the front page, you know, hanging up, the Bible says, oh, okay. Well, the Bible doesn't actually say anything. God says. The Bible records what God says, but I got it. But now, I live in a day and age as a pastor. That doesn't really work. And the reason it doesn't work, it works for you. You know, probably if I go over to DACC Sunday and jump up, the Bible says, everybody go, oh, all right, preacher, it does. But most of the culture we live in may recognize the Bible's a pretty good book, but they look at it like the Quran and 
Book of Mormon and Bible says doesn't mean anything because they just think a bunch of guys wrote it. So part of our task, and part of the reason a lot of you who have grown up in the church or grew up in a time when the Bible is revered, you struggle. It's because it's hard to deal with people who don't accept the fundamental things you accept like God created and the Bible says. We don't live in that world. I grew up in that world. Even, the, even though a lot of my friends weren't Christians, they all had a church they belonged to. You can name them. They belonged Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, a lot of Catholics, a lot of Jews. Everybody had some place. Or at least on Easter they could go. Or, you know, their family would be attached. But this doesn't exist anymore. As Baptists, we have a statement of beliefs. What we call a confession. Now, let me explain something to you. Especially if you're not Baptist. Baptists don't believe in creeds. <laughs> we used to say, we have no creed but the Bible, which then becomes a creed. So we actually do have, you know, it's just, you know. A creed is a doctrinal position to which a group adheres to or, or admits their allegiance to. If you grew up in some traditions, it was the Apostles' Creed. My wife grew up Lutheran, and you know, they recited the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is really good, except for the part about Jesus going to hell. I have, I'd like the Apostles' Creed. And some of you know what I'm talking about. There are other creeds. A confession is just a statement of beliefs that a group tend to believe. And Baptists, because no Baptist likes to be told what to do. We don't have creeds. We have confessions that pretty much define, yeah, that's kind of what we believe. And in Southern Baptists, we, we have one that has three kind of versions of it. In 1925, it's called the Baptist Faith and Message, 1925. And then it was revised in 63 and revised in 2000. Now, revised doesn't mean they changed the wording or a new doctrine came along. It just, or they changed their doctrines or something new came along. It just means they reworded it or they made it clear or they realized that, that you know, they needed to address certain issues. That's all that really means. And I, I, I was, <laughs> I'd grown up Baptist, when the Baptist church, our, our convention was splitting, and the 2000 came about, the Baptist faith and message, and there were groups who wanted to keep 63. And I, I, in my time, and I think it even happened here, maybe it was possible it happened here, I don't remember. Uh, y'all, did y'all care about what version of Baptist faith and message y'all did, didn't you? Did you? I couldn't remember. If y'all was, I know y'all had 63, but... People say, do you believe in the 63 or the, tw- or the 2000? I said, well, A, I don't believe or follow any of them. I follow scripture. Uh, but B, I like the 2000, I like the 63, and I like the 25. They're all good. I haven't found anything, any of them, that's not biblical. Have you? I said, but not only that, but this is where I love. This is, I, was, I could be a jerk sometimes. I like the New Hampshire Confession of Faith in which they were partly based, as well as the London Confession of Faith and the Philadelphia Confession of Faith, and all the way back to the Westminster Confession of Faith. Do you have problems with any of those? And I was the only one in the room that had read all that. <laughs> so, no. All the confession is is what we tend to believe. In the Baptist Confession, Baptist Faith and Message, if you want one, we have them. You can go online and get them. We have them here. The very first one deals with Scripture. And here's what it says. The Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. Here's God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and there is, and therefore is, and will remain to the end of the world, the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All scripture 
is a testimony to Christ who is himself, the focus of divine revelation. They're going to leave that for a few minutes because I'm going to pull out a couple of things. Those are all the scripture passages they reference. If you want to write that down, I would just take a picture of it. It's a lot easier. Or go online and look it up. Notice that it says it is God's revelation of himself to man. The Bible is, scripture is, the Old Testament is, all 66 books are, not counting the table of contents or the book of maps, God revealing himself to us. And as he reveals himself to us, it therefore means that God is the author of all of that. And you should believe that. I believe it wholeheartedly. That's why when I preach on Sundays, I don't, or anytime, I don't just say, well, you know, I read a good book the other day, and I'm going to share some of that, and I'll throw a little scripture in to, you know, kind of support it. I go to a passage, and I give you an expositional understanding of it. Sometimes people don't always like it or agree. That's okay. It has, it is truth, which I love, without any mixture of error. There are no errors in what God originally authored. There's no errors in this, in the intent of what God authored. Sometimes in our copying it down, we make mistakes. Anytime a human gets involved, mistakes are made, right? I mean, you're living proof of that. (laughs) All scripture is totally true and trustworthy. And it becomes the supreme standard. Now listen to this. Why is scripture the supreme standard because God reveals himself in it. The scripture is the standard because God is the standard. My ultimate authority isn't the Bible. My ultimate authority is God who chose some men it may be a woman or two here and there, like Deborah, that's part of it there. But in terms of writing, chose some men to record to some capacity what he chose to reveal to them in some form, shape, or fashion that he chose to reveal it. And that's what makes it important. Now, we're going to take that off now. Let me talk to you about why this matters. Because today, when when we deal with so many unchurched people, and you understand we have a lot of people who did not grow up in the church or who grew up in different traditions or who struggle, who are not even fathers of Christ, come to our church. So one of the important things that we do is try to help them understand why what we say matters. We're going to be doing that in the next few weeks. We're going to be taking on the culture. We're in a cultural war, my friend, whether people like it or not. There's a war over the lives of our children. And I'm going to make this fundamental statement. And the statement is, the issue at stake is who gets to tell our kids what to believe. That is the battle we are in, period, in the story. You don't agree with me? That's your prerogative. I hope you're not raising any kids if you don't believe me. (laughs) But I have to tell them, why are the things we're going to share with them better for them to hear than what other people share for them. This past 17 weeks, we went through a study of the Gospel of Mark. And if you will notice some things that happened in the study of the Gospel of Mark, how I reference things, it's really critical to, to get that. I didn't just say, 
Because the Bible is God's word, Mark is God's word, listen to what I have to say from Mark. I said things like, Mark recognized that the Christian faith, the, 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 the old timers, the guys who'd been around were dying off. And there was no written record. So because the Lord led him, he decided to write an account. Where did Mark go to get his account? Well, he went to Peter. Why is that important? Well, because Peter was one of the apostles. That's why. Luke, who was not only not an apostle, who was Gentile, said, I researched thoroughly everything I'm sharing with you. Well, John was an apostle. He had credibility. Mark was. So he said he wrote some stuff Peter gave to him. And he was aiming it at primarily Gentiles because they need to come to God. And I said he wrote it about 58, 59, 60 AD. Now, you could do some study on Mark and see some people think he wrote it as late as 65, 66. That really doesn't matter. That general era, he wrote it. And then one of the things that I spent a great deal of time dealing with in the study of Mark was the issue of authority. Who had authority? That really is such an important part of the New Testament. And what I kept trying to show you was that Jesus had authority. He got to determine who speaks for God. Remember I said all the time, who gets to speak for God? The Jewish leaders of Jesus. And then I kept telling you why Jesus got to do that. Because he was the son of man. He was the Messiah. Not only was he Messiah, he was God. And he kept referencing that. And I would occasionally say things like people today will say Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. But he really did, if you understand what he's saying. And then last week I came, as I ended it all, to a beautiful story where Jesus heals a paralytic. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And people say, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus said, that's right. You're correct. And so you can know that basically I'm God. He healed him. All of that was to show and demonstrate Jesus had authority and authenticity, which I didn't use as often in the series, but I mentioned once or twice. And then one of the things that I finally said is this, in, in the, like the last couple of weeks, and Jesus predicted his death and his resurrection three days later. And if you can predict that and pull it off, you ought to follow that guy. And then we demonstrated on Easter Sunday why the resurrection is the only viable, only viable uh, way of explaining the empty tank. I did all of that because I recognize that a lot of people don't believe that the Bible is just God's word. And I have to show them why they need to trust all of that. And you do too. You have to come to realize if you're going to be effective in helping some of your friends who don't know Jesus, know Jesus you got to help them understand why. Why do, we, why do we go to the Bible? I don't go to the Bible because the Bible says. I, I know it does, but that's not what I tell them. I go because I said in the book of Genesis, Moses gives an account of creation. And if you think about the account of creation, you have to, you have to make some assumptions. And the two assumptions you have to make is that Genesis 1-1 is true, and that God is creator, and that if he's creator, then he is the revealer. Now, if you don't want to believe that, that's fine. But, you, but you're going to make that assumption. And then, but everybody assumes something. Either you assume that God is the creator, or you assume that he isn't the creator. Either you assume that he does reveal himself to us, or you assume that he doesn't. Then I go through the process. Now, I'm telling you this because we live in a different day and age. We live in a different time. 
And sometimes you struggle with why the world is the way it is. And part of the problem that we live in is that you and I probably, most of us grew up in a day and age. Some of you that are younger haven't grown up in that world. It's like, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, eight max. Some of you on the fringe, you can be that eighth. I think it's me. Probably not, but you could be. The rest of us grew up where there is always an authority. The Americans, it's the Constitution. The Christians, it's the Bible. You know, if you belong to a club, there's a charter. You know, our church has a Constitution of bylaws. How we, you know, we're going to do business meeting, Robert's Rules of Order. Cool. Whatever. That guy's been dead so long, he still makes our life miserable. But a culture exists that has no authority but themselves. And over the next few weeks, when we're dealing with parenting, that's what we're dealing with. A culture that just decides on the fly that you get to be whatever you want to be. And you can be a a guy even though you're a girl. You 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 can believe or do whatever you want. And the solution isn't to hammer them. And the solution isn't to yell and scream at them. The solution is to try to find a way to communicate to them that there's something fundamentally flawed with what they believe. And that's where we're at. And it's not changing. It's not going to change if we get, you know, different people elected. It's not going to change because Elon Musk bought Twitter. (laughs) Remind me, I need to contact him about if you'd like to by our church <laughs> so we can build a new building. We can invest. He can even get rid of some of y'all. I don't care. <laughs> when you got that much money, you can spend six million and not even know what happened. My goodness. Or eight. Well, I need a bonus. So let's go 9.5. When I, was in, uh, when I was at Park Hills and David Robinson was at Spurs and he was a Christian, I told the pastor, I was, I was the associate pastor. I said, listen, I'm going to try to get David Robinson to come to our church. And if I do, and he ties, I get a bonus of what he ties. Because you couldn't pull it off. You know. So we, we need to deal with that and understand those things. Because here's what we know. In the beginning, God created. And he created all of us. And as I'm going to share this upcoming Sunday, he created all of us in his image. And then he sent Jesus to save and redeem all of us, even all those people who are wrong and who are at war in our culture and trying to take our kids and redefine what they should believe. But we have to figure out how do you communicate to them? And if they reject it, they reject it. I got you. They can face God and screw off on that. But I want to be sure that I did what I could do to make it where they can understand it. And you need to figure out how to do the same with the people you know. Now, a person you know is 70 and grew up in the Bible Belt, you can say, well, the Bible says. But it hadn't worked so far. But you could try it one last time. Do those things.